This podcast is made possible by ATO Records, home of Grammy-nominated artists Brittany Howard, Black Pumas, Emily King, and Danny Barnes. Learn more at atorecords.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Melbourne, Australia's Amo and the Sniffers are a punk rock, metal, hip-hop, post-punk mashup served with a heaping spoonful of F.U. and a cheeky smile. The band's singer, Amy Taylor, described the band like this. In Australia, we call poppers Amo, so you sniff, it lasts for 30 seconds, and then you have a headache. And that's what we're like. Their 2021 release, Comfort to Me, is a pedal to the metal collection of songs recorded during the pandemic by producer Dan Luscombe and mixed by Nick Linnae. Jeff Stanfield caught up with the band's singer, Amy, and guitarist, Deck Martins, for a chat and to listen to some of the tracks off the new record. Enjoy. Comfort to me. I, I got to tell you, I only a few times a year do I put on a record and I'm just like, finally, somebody made a record that just melted my face off from the drop. It just feels so uncalculated in, in, a, in the best way. It just feels raw and fun and dirty. And, and I, I, I love it. And I immediately wanted to talk to you guys about it. So, so how did you guys put this record together in terms of the writing and recording? Well, yeah, we'd always planned for this album to be written during 2020. We just didn't plan for the pandemic, obviously, but we got back from a tour. It was like September 2019 or whatever, and we all moved into a house together and we started writing around then. Um, and then, yeah, Australia went through this, like, hectic kind of bushfire season. And so even before COVID, we were wearing, like, masks because there was so much smoke in the air. Um, so it was like a really weird kind of, like, worrying time. And then straight after that into COVID. So it was kind of written, there was probably like three or four songs written before the pandemic started and then the rest of it was written during. Um, and we all lived together. So like realistically you'd think that would be writing constantly and like doing stuff. But we just kind of hung out and then when, when the lockdowns would stop, we would go and practice and go and write and go and do demos and everything like that. Did you guys have a setup at the house where you're recording or were you going out to studios? Um, no, nah, we, cause this was the first time we've actually done demos, which, um, I can see why people do them cause it was very helpful. Um, I mean, essentially everything else we've done before this was just demos cause they were the first recordings of it. But, um, we were going down to Dan Luscombe who, yeah, you were emailing or whatever. He had a little, he has like a little warehousey thing and I was around the corner from ours. So we were doing demos there. With that process of writing, was that as a band or were you guys passing things back and forth? Like, um, you know, Declan's got a, a riff idea and then he's passing it along to you to write? Yeah, tr traditionally we write where someone brings forward a riff. Someone might have two or three that they have as a finished song and we jam them out together. And as um, the boys jam the song together, Amy writes her lyrics in the, in the room. Uh, so that's like how we mainly write and then sometimes it might be one riff and someone else brings another riff and we put them together. Um, and then 
like songs like I think Laughing, No More Tears, they were written um like with like in in the shed at our house. Funnily enough, when Amy had moved out, so not at a productive time, I guess. We we ate the most of Amy living with us. Um yeah, so like No More Tears was written just like as it as it was played. I just played it on acoustic guitar and Amy wrote it. So like we, we wrote in all sorts of different ways for this. Yeah, like yeah, No More Tears was written like it was literally like one run through and then the second run through I just recorded it on my phone and that was pretty much the finished product the like first time through. And like a lot of them on my end, like the lyrics were pretty intuitive, but then there was like a heap of them where I'd take the demos away and just like be scribbling constantly and like shuffling lyrics around. And like, I really cared about what I was, I, I just really cared about a lot of the lyrics and really wanted to like, I don't know, think about them a bit more and stuff. So there was a fair few songs like that I would kind of be trying to shape and, and that, and even some of the lyrics were written like in the re- recording room still. Just because I'm, I'm kind of like a perfectionist, but in an abstract way, where it's like, it's almost like it's like a maths equation, and there's only like one right answer, but it's like you have to think about it. I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the lyrics on this record, um, and I think it's one of the things that makes me like it so much is that there's there's not a lot of thinly veiled sentiments, you know. I mean, they're very, it's very like on the sleeve and out front, and and of course that's fitting to the music. But the the delivery versus some of the things that you're saying that are in a lot of ways they're quite tender, you know. It's a really interesting mashup with the delivery and of course the sonics of the band and and the way that you you the way that you sing. I hesitate to say that this record is tender, but I definitely feel like it it has these moments. I think it's got yeah. its moments of that. I think it's like pretty. I think it's pretty vulnerable in a way, and I feel like it's tender, but. In a lot of ways, I think tenderness like is strength because if you can just like be, yeah, like have like a moment of like pure vulnerability, then it's like that's showing that you're strong and not afraid of like rejection for being human. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the time I don't feel like that. So it's good to lean into that when I do to kind of be like, oh, yeah, I guess I am a human being. (laughs) Where was this record recorded? This record was recorded at uh, Sound Park Studios, which is at a junction in Northcote in Melbourne, and it like like it was walking distance to to from our house where we were living, but it was it was a long walking distance. So if you were walking there, you could have a bit of time to listen to music and think, um, or just like get a few tramp stops down. Um, yeah, Bunny Bunny engineered it. It was it was done in um like stage four lockdown here. So like we weren't even like allowed to have guests or anything at our house, but um, thanks to PHC, we got permits to film because filming, filming things were, were able to go ahead, you know, through some think loophole with the government. So we filmed the process and yeah, Bonnie came down from Sydney because apparently, uh, yeah, I guess we couldn't we couldn't find any engineers in Melbourne that would do it. And Dan, uh, yeah, Dan Luscom produced it. So we did like our demoing at like a little warehouse studio with Dan for a few months. And um, yeah, I think we were originally going to go in in July, but Paul Kelly booked it out, the bastard. Um, so um, yeah, and then we. Yeah. Uh, and Nick mixed this record. Is that right? Yeah, Nick Nick Lorna. Yeah. 
so he he was in um LA at the time. I think he lives between LA and London. And you know, in 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 the normal scenario, he would have come to Melbourne to do it. So he reached out to us in the early stages when we were writing and wanted to produce the album. So we he was in consideration for for, for production, and then through I don't know I know there's a really good cliche term of saying this, but through some through all these scenarios, we ended up making a solely Melbourne record because of COVID, and so yeah, Nick Nick was out of contention for production. So when when it came time to mixing, uh, we got in contact with a few mixers and tried them out. We we went with Nick and um, he was based in LA, so it was a really it was a really weird process there where he would send his mix and we would get it in the morning because of the time difference. It would be like late at night in LA. We'd get it in the morning, wake up, we'd sit with the mix, make our notes, send the the notes back to him for that night. He would mix it overnight while we were asleep and then we'd get the next mix the next day sort of thing. So it was sort of just like it was a slow process, I guess. It's a lot slower than than what it would usually be mixed. But, um, yeah, that, I guess that was like a challenge that um, whatever whatever issues we had with the mix, we had to put in like a WhatsApp group and be like, yeah, can you change this? <laughs> it's a much more polished record sounding record than your previous uh you know releases you wrestle with any of that um i was pretty comfortable with it but it also was bizarre because like a lot of music i do like isn't polished so it was kind of like trying to find that middle ground or whatever um because i like stuff that sounds like it was recorded on like a like a mug (laughs) um i think it's fun but at the same time it's like i like experiencing new things and exploring new things and not getting stuck in anything it's like I don't want to make the same kind of sounding music forever I kind of the way I see it it's like you know like a really nice sports car like a WRX or something a Subaru WRX um and it's like expensive and it's got nice wheels and it looks schmicko but it's still pretty fucked up and like gross (laughs) I feel like that's the goal let's uh let's talk about some of the songs let's start with Guided by Angels I think was the first song we actually wrote off the album um, and it was the only one we got to play live before the pandemic happened um, but yeah I guess it's kind of like an ad- I can't remember anything about the musical side of it so I'll leave that to Declan but yeah it's kind of like an abstract song that has like heaps of different meanings and is influenced by heaps of different stuff um, and I kind of like leaving it that way because then it's open for everyone's interpretation rather than like giving uh, template of what it means or whatever but in a roundabout way like it's kind of just saying like you know it's like I'm a very energetic person and like that kind of guides me through the world and like all I have is my energy and that's my currency and if I'm spending it in the wrong places well then it's only going to fuck me up but at the same time it's like 
it's a lot of it is like a bad energy that I use anyway to like do everything. <laughs> Hurts is the first song that kind of turned me on to your band. Um, I was driving and that came on KEXP here in Seattle. Tell me about that one. Um, I, the working title for that song was Echo Bitch. Because, because like, I don't, I don't know if, if, if other people hear this, but when, you, when we were playing it, we, we thought it was very, like, new wavy and, like, Echo Beach. Um, that song, <laughs> what is it, Martha and the... Muffins, I don't know, and so, yeah. So the working title was Echo Bitch. It's so different to like what we've done before. It's very like I don't know, jangly and and poppy in a way, I guess. But so, I I think like when I listen back to it, I'm like, okay, it still sounds like Amal and the Sniffers. It's just a little bit different in its own way, I guess. And so, yeah, like, um, I don't know. Everyone always thinks that it was written during lockdown when we couldn't travel anywhere, but it, the lyrics were actually written before that, weren't they, right? Yeah, they were. They were written before the pandemic had even happened. So it's really funny how much it feels like a pandemic song and how much it resonated with me, like, when we're making the video during a pandemic and everything like that. I was like, I actually just really want to fucking go to the beach and all the country. <laughs> It's a term of endearment, but um, perhaps not in this case. But the next song I'd love to hear about is uh, Don't Need a Like You to Love Me. Yeah. Oh, I love this song. It's one of my favorites to play. I, I always just love like short, fast, hectic songs. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, this was one that, like, funnily enough, I struggled with lyrics for. And I think I was, like, freestyle rapping and stuff in the rehearsal room, being like, ah, oh, I should try to make it into a rap. And I was like, oh, like, boys, you should do the chorus and, like, you should say this and, like, yeah, let's make it like this. And, um, yeah, basically it's just being like, yeah, I'm a little fucked up, but I'm also a little bit classy and, um, you know, but I don't need anyone to love me and I don't need your approval and fuck every and fuck off. <laughs> 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 Essentially. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I like it. Tell me about No More Tears. Well, like with, with the music of No More Tears, um, I've been listening to heaps, um, this record called No Other by Gene Clark. And so I was just like really blown away by that record. And it's one of the last songs that was written for this album. I don't think we actually got to get a demo in of it. And so I came up with the chords of it. And I guess like we, um, me and Amy are really big fans and I, uh, of of power pop, so like it's sort of influenced by like the nerves and Sunny Boys in like the intensity of the of the music and um, yeah, Amy came around one day and was like, "Have you got any riffs for us? You know, need to make Amy rich." So yeah, I don't know. they gotta make me rich. <laughs> what happened then? <laughs> yeah, I came around um, and I just rode my bike over because I was living somewhere else at the time. Um, my bike that is now stolen, everyone should know, I cried, but anyway, um, um, <laughs> yeah, right, right over and just sat in the shed with Declan and, and I was like, what riffs you got, what do you got, put the phone on demo, like just like press record on voice memos, played that, kind of like said a bunch of crap and then did it again as like a full song and yeah, that's so lyrically, like I was just going through a really tough time, like that last year really fucked me up and um, I don't know, I was just like feeling kind of weird about feeling sad all the time and it was like starting a new relationship with someone I really liked and I was like, oh, I'm just like a fucked up cunt, but like, it's just kind of about that really. I was like very lost and struggling and stuff and um, it's just like, it was a weird time to start a relationship, so it's kind of about that really. It's just like wanting them to still love me even though I'm sad. I love hearing um, 
about music that people are listening to when they're making records. Um, what what other bands were you guys listening to? You know, Gene Clark is not the first uh, artist that I would be like, oh yeah, they were definitely listening to Gene Clark. I liked, um, I was smashing like Jungle Pussy. She's a rapper. I think she's from maybe New York, but I really liked, like lyrically she's like fucking awesome. Um, who else? Yeah, like Sunny Boys. We were listening to a bit of Power Trip, a bit of Warthog. Um, um, who else? Sleepin' Mods. Um, oh, yeah. They're awesome. I love them. Yeah, they're so uh, sick. Yeah, I think like security, I was really influenced by a, a Melbourne band from the 90s called uh, Powder Monkeys as well. And um, Bryce... Our drummer, he was listening to lots of Stone Roses. Gus loves post-punk, and post-punk is a very bass-driven genre with really catchy bass lines. So that's why, like, songs like uh, Maggot and Guided by Angels were able to come about. And, um, yeah, ACDC was probably a big influence too, as always. ACDC always are. (laughs) It's still so good. It's like, still so good. You kind of forget about it, and then like something will be like, "Oh yeah, I might check on ACDC again," and you're like, "Fuck yeah!" How about uh, "Freaks to the Front"? Um, "Freaks to the Front" kind of says it all in the title. Basically, it's just about having a night out on the town. You want to get rowdy, but you also like, if I'm up on stage and I don't want anyone to touch me, and I just want all the weirdos and like all the ugly people and the poor people and the rich people, like. Everyone's an outcast in their own way, like depending on who they're hanging out with. So, you know, it's like if there's like an accountant at the gig, they're the freak, really. Or if there's like a, you know, it's like, what's a freak? It's just subjective to the group that they're in. So basically, it's like, yeah, if you're like in a wheelchair or a lawyer or like fucking have a really ugly hat on, like you should just have a good time anyway. And punk shouldn't be exclusive, especially with appearances and especially with like appearances that you can't change. Um, and also just like encouraging people to lean into whatever version of themselves comes easiest unless you're an asshole then go the other way
And, and let's do one more um, choices. Choices, I think, features the first ever key change in an animal song. Yeah, which is, you know, that's 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 a pretty big achievement for a punk band to have a key change. That's a big deal. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. Cool, sounds good. First, I gotta ask Declan, are you insanely hungover right now? No comment. No comment. I, I don't know what the fuck happened. Like, so I'm, I'm packing up my room and I'm going to a double double birthday, right? And I so I bought a long neck, which is like, you know, like a, a big, it's like two beers in one sort of thing. And I was like, I'm just gonna drink this and then I'm gonna go home, right? And then our bass player messaged me and he was like, how's the party? I said, the party was shit. Don't come. And he was like, come to this bar. I want to show Seamus, our friend, a good time for his birthday. And I was like, all right, sweet. So I was like, Seamus, we're going to go to Labor in Vain. I'm gonna sh- we're going to show you a good time for your birthday. And so because Seamus is so timid about doing shots of alcohol, I got more excited about shots of alcohol. So then we shots of alcohol until the bar shuts. Um, then the bar shuts, so then we go to the next bar, which is Old Bar, and that's always trouble. So I'm at Old Bar. I bump into Jack Parsons. Do I know that person? Jack Parsons from Small Town, Big Town Tour. You do know Jack Parsons. Yeah, man. <laughs> so I'm drinking with him. I'm drinking with Rainer Clothing. I'm talking about getting a suit tailored at 2 o'clock in the morning. Then in comes uh, uh, Old Flame. <laughs> uh, we end up having a really big chat. Next thing you know, we're at the Tankerville and I'm playing pool. And we're talking lots, getting lots of things out of the way that needed to be said. And uh, next thing you know, I'm walking down Brunswick Street at 6 o'clock in the morning. All the kebab shops are shut. I can't get any kebabs into me to sober me up. Yeah, you're drunk I, as a fucking skunk. I can't fucking believe this has happened. Was this last night? Yeah, this is. We're talking like fucking four. We're hours. talking about. <laughs> we're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, This is current, live. Dude, it's brilliant that you even made it. I'm a professional, I'm a professional. and you're going to get a really good <laughs> podcast. 
I can't wait. I yeah. think we just got. I think we just got it. That's it. 